Welcome back to Uproot. My name is Lily Bakada Piper, and I am so glad you're back with us talking with Shiro Koyange. 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 <laughs> I'll keep practicing. By the time the show is over, all right? We are talking about her beautiful debut novel, The Havoc of Choice. And if you were with us in part one, we explored the many women characters, the choices both Shiro made as an author as well as the characters made. And when we mention these characters, you know, we can't help but put on them everything we see in society. You know, so one of the things I wanted to explore with you is also, were you trying to make a statement about feminism with both Kavata juxtaposed next to Wanja, juxtaposed next to Chepto, and you know the other women in this book, what were you trying to say about maybe men and women both in Kenya, but also maybe in the, in the Pan-African context? Because certainly there's some, some ties that can be made there across our borders. I wasn't actively trying to say anything, but again, um, <laughs> <laughs> you make some choices. You make it. some choices. <laughs> I, I will struggle with the question around feminism of this book because I really just portrayed this woman in the way that I thought um, gave them um, respect and saw them and gave them and gave them the whole breadth of, of like decisions and choices to make. Mm. Um, the women that I, that are in this book reflect the women that are in my life. Women who do things, women who make choices that they don't necessarily they don't have to be the right ones, but the ones that they kind of thought through the most, right? Mm. Like I, I, the, the scene where Anne and Kavata are really going through the whole thing for what country, where? No, it's called in London. I say they don't like Africans there. You can't go all of those things. Mm. Uh, like even if she made the decision that wasn't right for everybody in the room, it was one that was based on some kind of like mm. formula, right? It's interesting you say, can I, I, I don't mean to cut yeah. you off, but um, when you said at the beginning that you're struggling to call this feminism, it makes me wonder, what, what do you, how do you define feminism? Why is that hard? It's, it, it's, it, it's my, my definition also is really, is really so my, my easiest way is that the feminism that I believe in is not one where we fix things without men. Okay. I don't want to live sure. in a life without men. Sure. I, I, the, women run things in, in the world that I live in, but not because... The men, I, it's not because, I don't even know why they do it, but I, I don't want a world where men are not holding up their half of the world. Mm. And the reason why I struggle with, with feminism is because the, the loudest part of feminism says that that is the world that, that works. And, and my next book will address this, because I'm just like, let's see what, what happens when women run everything all the okay. time and, 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 what, okay. and what that society looks like. We might all want to believe that it's going to be perfect. But mm. the, the reason why there's two races on the planet, nothing yeah. about this was like by mistake, right? So, mm. so the whole thing for prone women being anti-men is, is why it begins to be like, I don't sure. want to live in a But then does that say that women are all the same? So that's no. why? Because to me, there's a spectrum of feminism. Exactly. There's a spectrum of femininity yeah. as well. And an African femininity as well. Yeah. I... Yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm struggling with this question because I don't, don't think that's I have fair. a spot, a spot on answer yeah. because I, I, I still am trying to find mm -hmm. language around feminism that fits for me. Yeah. Um, I so I haven't, I haven't rushed to any box yet and I'm just like, mm, mm. Well, let, let's that. talk about another yeah. very light topic, Pan-Africanism, you know, in this book. I, I was just noticing uh, when we took the break, you know, our, our group is quite yeah. broad-reaching. Yeah. You know, our friend Alicia grew up in West Africa and remind me, Alicia, in Cote d'Ivoire? Burkina Faso. Faso, our friend Janet also did, she's Kenyan. We have a Sudanese, Eritrean, Ethiopian, Mona, you have Korean roots. Um, so we have this kind of diverse setting of women here. And I wonder how much of your book, intentionally or unintentionally, you feel like is accessible 
if you're not Kenyan, if you're not of this generation who witnessed or experienced the, these events. Yeah. Um, that, that, that was a real concern for me as I wrote it. I wrote this book for Kenyans first. Um, it was for Kenyans first. And, and I'm like, if, if, the, if the world wants to read it, great. They will get to, to understand a piece of our world. Mm. Um, but, but it was always intended for Kenyans first. And, and in fact, the, the, initial, the initial book deal I got was from a UK publisher mm. who had a Mexican um, editor on their staff. And so the first round, actually not even before that, my, my agent is an Indian woman. So actually, she's, she's from Singapore, but she lives in India. This is very complicated. Exactly. My team, my team, my <laughs> team. Um, <laughs> So the book was read outside before it was read here. Actually, Washuka was the first kind of Kenyan, um, the partner I trusted the first to read the book here um, from the industry. And and it was read by by a Mexican, then an, an Indian and a Mexican, then the UK publishers as well. And it still kind of held some emotional truth, right? And even when they were reading it, I was still editing the work here because I wrote the first draft of this book when I was living in Cape Town. Hmm. So the initial dialogue was really like, sounded like Cape Town. It didn't sound like Nairobi <laughs> at all. At all. <laughs> so we were talking yeah. about Mobrika, and like you're saying, yeah. yo, and all of these things that Kenyans just don't say. And because yeah. I wrote this book in the span of where I was living for, for three and a half years in Cape Town, and when I had an editor read it here, he pointed this out very, very early on the first draft. Yeah. Um, and it's the reason why, I guess, the, the things that took the longest to, to, to write and to fix were the texture, the language, sitting in cafes and being like, oh, Kenyans don't see that. Kenyans say this. Put that in. For sure, for sure. Um, so it really, I really wanted to be emotionally true here first. It has run true elsewhere. Mm. Um, I don't know if... Um, I, I don't ever intend to, to translate the, the Kiswahili, the Kamba, the Kikuyu in the book. I'm like... Move yeah. on if you don't get it. If of you don't course. get it, you don't get yes. it. Yeah. Because I don't see French being translated in 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 in. Thank you. And thank you for in, that. Yeah. I'm like, cheers oh. to that. Cheers yeah. to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, in fact, absolutely. the thing we'll do in the third edition because we just ordered the second edition. Ooh, is congratulations! Yes, yes. Now sold out best-selling author. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, and I think I want to. I mean, going forward, everything I write, I will stop italicizing our language mm. because then you're othering our language. Let's italicize the English. That's not ours. Come on. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. We'll be telling. <laughs> to my Ethiopian heart, that makes me glad. That's fantastic. Actually, this might be a great time to introduce Washuka because we, we haven't talked about some of the other really inc incredible work that you do in restoring Nairobi's library landscape. And Washuka is your publisher, so maybe we can pass the mic to Washuka. Washuka, you, you asked the question earlier, but we didn't really pause at that moment to really make the connection between the two of you. So I want to take a step back from Havoc of Choice for just a moment to talk about this larger landscape of literature in the continent and the value of books and the value of libraries. Tell us a little bit about BookBunk. I've put you on the spot, but I know, as a reader. I know you've made this speech before. <laughs> Tell us about, um, about Bank Books. Yeah, sure, Bank, Bank Books and BookBunk. Book. Sure. Yes. So Bank Books is um, our, I'd say our second baby yeah. together because our first um, baby is BookBank. Haha, <laughs> clever. <laughs> um, so tell us what, which one are you going to tell us about first? BookBank? I want to tell you about BookBank because that's how, that's how we kind of started the work. So BookBank is something that Wanjiro and I put together, um, formalized in October 2017, um, which is an entity basically that does this work related to restoring what we're calling some of Nairobi's most iconic public libraries. So we've been looking at three so far, the Macmillan Memorial Library on Banda Street, right in the heart of the city is probably the most well-known one. Um, and then we discovered through that journey that it actually had all these satellite branches and started to work on those. Initially, there were a group of five, they're now a group of three. So our very first restoration project has been the Kaloleni Library, which is super special to us. We finished that work in um, June last year. 
and then we're just wrapping up now on the Eastlands Library, which is located in Makadara, and then moving on to the Mothership, which is the oldest one, opened in the 1930s. So when she's not writing and being fabulous at that, um, <laughs> she is directing a significant part of the work around that, around public libraries and resourcing them and reimagining what Incredible. they could be like Incredible. and really just trying to breathe life into them. Yeah. Thank you. It's an incredible gift, not just to Nairobi, but I think to our whole continent, just to remind us the value of these spaces and of books and of shared experiences around uh, around reading. So then tell us about Bunk Books. So Bunk Books, um, <laughs> which as you can see is not such a big play on words, it was a little <laughs> bit obvious. Um, we were just, we were kind of tired of thinking, to be honest, but we're like, oh, that makes so much sense, just flip it, <laughs> and then we'll call it Bunk Books. But um, Shu and I initially met, for those that don't know, through the same kind of circuit. Um, her and I have always existed in the kind of creative sector of Nairobi, doing very many different things, but kind of rooted in, in writing and the ecology of writing and publishing and how that work is circulated, really. So initially we met because we were working on a literary festival called the Kwani Lit Fest, um, that she was the most wonderful producer of. Okay, yes. I remember first working with Shiro and, and you know that moment that you have of like, oh my God, I've met my better half person in this world and I'm never going to let her go. And when she went to South Africa, I understood that what she was doing was important, but I was bitter, you know, because... <laughs> I was like, God damn it, I'm going to have to put on a whole literary festival without this woman. What am I going to do? Um, so that's how we met. And through that process, we um, were quite keen to look at, I think, other venues, public venues specifically, that could be the home of these literary festivals that we were putting on, which is how we came across the Macmillan. Um, but long story short, because of coming from that world and obviously her being a writer, it was very important to us, I think, that we start to form... Um, I suppose what we'll call a little publishing imprint at the moment, because we only have two things that we've produced so far, but things that we're super proud of. But wanted to start something that reflected um, what we wanted to see happening yeah. in the scene. Absolutely. So that's kind of what Bank Books came out of. Um, and I was massively, massively proud for um, our little home to be where... Um, this thunderous works sits. Oh, that's beautiful. And so this is our first baby, our first publication. Very, very proud because we are just going into the second print run, which is marvelous. Um, so she has sold 3,000 copies so far, which is fantastic. Um, since July last year. And then our second baby is a children's book by Lupita Nyong'o called Sulwe. And we produce that in Kiswahili, in English, and in Doluo. Fantastic. Congratulations. We need you. You know, Toni Morrison said if there's a book that you haven't, that you want to read and it's not written, write it yourself. And you've literally said if there's not a publishing house that's writing the books that we want, we're going to create it ourselves. And, you know, Hungara Sana and Asante, because really you brought us what we needed. So thank you. We can't wait to see what else will come from Bunk Books. Thank you. Yes. She brings, she makes it easy. To be make honest. it easy, Mama. Yes. May all our partnerships beat this beautiful. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, Lisa. Billy, what happened to the men? I thought um, men yes. were part two. We are, we are going to come back to the men. I yes, don't want yes. to live in a world without men. Either. Well, you know, we were. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're not alone in that. So where do we start with the men? So let me just ask you just a small question. Is Ngugi, is he named for anyone in particular? Any other writers we've heard about in Kenya? Is he just, <laughs> did that name just fall out of the sky? You know, actually, to be honest, honestly, and, and, mm, it's going to be on the internet forever, but I just thought about what is the most recognizable Kenyan name in Ngugi. Like, okay, okay, that's easy. Okay. 
because it. Fine. Yeah, Fair like they won't struggle Fair to enough. pronounce that Fair one enough. at least. Yes, yeah. yeah, it was. There's no imagination there. I promise. So I actually want to start with Amani because you said you knew where his story was going to go, and though he's not yet a man, he represent he represented something. I mean, a lot was put on him too. Um, when he's born, his grandfather arrives in the world as a grandfather. It's almost as if, you know, Wanja didn't exist because of the way they took it in his birth. Um, he is the one in pursuit of his mother who, you know, I just want to get to my mom, makes that choice to jump out of a car that leads ultimately to his death. And at the same time, he is this bright light in the book in the middle of a lot of heartache um, prior to his death. You know, they in remembering him, they talk about what his laughter did for their household and how he would bring them back around. And what did we, what should we have learned from Amani? Yeah. Um, there's a wisdom to children that I think we all forget to see because the children within us are <laughs> covered in so much drama and like all of the scripts that we've been handed. Um, Amani, Amani for me is, 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 was a difficult decision because I knew that someone had to die. I only managed to meet kind of halfway through working that it was going to be him because it had to be the most innocent person mm. and the death that would be the, the most or the least understandable. Um, but also in a very logistical way, the book had to move forward. And at the point when he dies, the, the book is kind of all over politically, kind of running, running around the country, following everybody, and it needed something to bring us back home. And nothing, as we all know, brings us back home like a funeral does and yeah. a death does, because it doesn't matter what's happened. When somebody dies, you just like, shoo, you go back home, and, you, and you, yeah. you remember what it's like to be family. That's why he had to, his life had to end the way that it did. Um, mm. That scene came back to me more than 20 times. Mm go back. And I'm, I'm not a mother. I'm, I'm not a mother. I have seven nieces and nephews that I love to bits. Mm. And um, Barbara's last one son is about Amani's age. Mm. And I was thinking about him being like, nope, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't yeah, do this. I can't yeah. do this. I remember actually so many times trying to pick up the phone and call Barbara and be like, what would you be like to lose your son? And I, I can't even yeah, say those words. Yeah, I remember yeah. trying to watch films where mm. mothers had lost. I really tried to connect with that pain. And I mm. still don't know if if I did do it any service. Yeah. Um, but his death for me was, was important to bring the story back. But also because that idea of Kenya being this beacon of peace died, you know, yeah. seven, right? We were all about like, oh, look at, look at, look at Somalia. Oh, so bad. Mm. Look at South Sudan. Horrible, horrible. Mm. <laughs> and, then, and then it happens to us and we're Absolutely. kind of still there being like, oh my God. And I don't know if yeah. you understood like yeah. what that pain meant. Yeah. Um, and of course, like the idea of peace dying was what, what you know, on a larger level that means. But, yeah. But also just the, the idea that the story had to move on and, and we had to come back to family and, and, and all of these things. Oh, seven changed my idea of this country for me. I, I think I got a lot more jaded and a lot. I work because I, I, the library work is for me a sense of just trying to create some, some sense and create spaces that are neutral and people yeah. can come and talk about their feelings and yeah. talk about even if it's like do nothing. <laughs> this country doesn't allow people to idle and just yeah. sit, sit still and do nothing. Yeah. But I definitely, that work is born out of a hopelessness, I feel, mm -hmm. about the change that we need coming from mm -hmm. the top. I don't know if it actually should come from the top, yeah. because the problem with the top is that oftentimes people don't ask questions about what you want. Yeah. Right? Do you even want a democracy? <laughs> I'm like, would you rather just have a king? Like, we don't, yeah. we don't ask questions, right? right? We assume we know what our people want, but no yeah. one really sits down to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And I think everything about the, 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 the kind of the, the rose petals fell from my eyes in 07, and, 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 and in the same way that, like, the money died, yeah. it's like the peace, the idea of you guys having your shit together mm. is actually the biggest lie. I think we're just really good at yeah. PR. We, we yeah. invest in like, yeah. take it till you make it. Yeah. But like, yeah. <laughs> we don't have, we don't have anything together. We're probably a lot more um, hurt and broken than countries around us that have, that have yeah. dealt with a lot more conflict. 
when I stopped reading the book, the one thing in my mind was a, a question about healing. Mm -hmm. So you kind of went through what the family did through the epilogue, like, you know, this, you know, Kavata did this, Ngugi did that. And we kind of get a sense of how they struggle to heal. But then what stayed in my mind is how are the communities, like stepping out of the world of fiction and just going into how it is now. Because even as an outsider, I sense tension between ethnic groups, between tribes, and I don't understand it. What is your perspective of how people are healing from like more than a decade ago? Um, and before you answer that, Shira, I'm going to actually add another layer on that. Um, Shira also has done some beautiful writing outside of her book and, and essays. And I read an essay you wrote about your trip to Kigali, Rwanda. Mm. And I just want to read a quote from that essay because you said that Kigali showed you what it's like for a nation to mourn together. And I wanted to ask you, you know, in line with what Donica is asking, has Kenya mourned together? Have we healed together? You know, not just uh, in post-traumatic violence, but even in this pandemic, as we have all experienced it in different ways, are we together, you know? Um, Unfortunately, I don't think that we are. Um, I don't, so when I was doing the research for the book, I tried to find centers for the people who have lost something, a family member, their homes, their, their livelihood, somewhere where we could go and just gather and just spend time with other people who'd experience the same loss, mm -hmm. and I couldn't find even one. I spent, I mean, you're trying to find a physical place. A physical place, place or like an organization or, or a body that, that's specifically dealing with like the post-election, exactly, with the post-election violence. And I also, I just wanted to see, like, like a museum, even just a room, a room in yeah. a hotel somewhere, yeah. Yeah. where every Thursday at 5 p.m. they have a post thing if you are a victim of post-election violence, you know, seven mm -hmm. come. Mm. Come for tea, come for conversation, come mm. for therapy, come for mm. healing, come to talk. Mm. I couldn't find one. I'm not saying I looked everywhere. And if there's one out there, please send it my way. Yeah. Um, but I wondered about that. I'm like, here we are. How many years has it been? Where are we? 2021? 13 years. 13 years. 13 years. And on the eve of another election. Exactly. Years, yeah. And still, every time we have an election, I go into like, <gasps> yeah, of course. Yeah. We all yeah, do. Yeah. I'm just like, let me check if my passport is valid. Yes. Am I going to vote? Do I want to stay? Do I want to go to... And these mm. questions are about the thing, again, that's supposed to be the biggest pillar of our citizenry. citizenry it's about our choice. Right? Yeah. So one time you have a voice and it gives us anxiety. So no, we haven't healed together. And, mm. I, and I struggle with this question because I don't know how we will. I don't know yeah. if it's uh, now having roundtables about this book because this book, I want to start the conversation. Yeah. Um, Kigali or Rwanda does it where they have a whole month to grieve and, and like you can't talk about yeah. um the well sort of encourage me to talk about the genocide and other other times of the year, but on this month you're like, let's just spend some time yeah. remembering, right? And I was when I visited Kigali for the one and only time it was just at the at the end. It was I think the month is April and I've gone there in the second yeah, of, of May and they were just coming out of this hang they had this hangover. So everything was still quite somber. And I was just like, this place is so dead. Why is no one having like, a good time? But then I was told what was happening. I was like, that is powerful. Yeah, you said in your essay that uh, during the month of April, I didn't know this either, that they, there's no music there's no played in bars or restaurants in the month parties. of April. People there are just, no like, parties. It's very fun. It's, it's a, a month, month the entire month, month to month. absorb, to absorb that. your pain yeah. and see what, what comes out of it. And I'm not saying that's the way to do it. Sure. But I'm saying that there needs to be some way that people yeah. can just go back and think. So we don't go into like anxiety and you begin to vote because oh my god let me just go mm. do it and run and vote my yeah, house like yeah. most of the moment of joy and yeah. until we can we can resolve that i think that elections will always be about the wrong things yeah. There's, there's, yeah there's no there's no other way um i don't know what it looks like because i'm yeah. not sure that rwanda way is, is, is again foolproof i'm not sure the sa way again and when right. i lived there i could not sit in a gathering where apartheid didn't come up course, and this was yeah. at the 20 year mark yeah, yeah. and i i got quite tired of it i must admit but i must like, but i wasn't here it's not about me mm. right so for those people who lived it they need to talk about it till they can't talk about it anymore. Absolutely. And that's the only way to heal. 
you know, it's a, yeah. it's interesting. I, I think I, I interviewed uh, Jerry Mongi uh, last month about her and Boniface's film, Softy. If you haven't seen it, it's uh, worth your time. A really um, moving way another, through another family who's pursuing human rights for this country in the midst of political conflict. And, and I feel like in some ways their film, your book, has given us places. You have given us that place that we can go to and sit and talk. So thank you for that. Whether you intended that book to be a place for us, it has become. I think this room is a place for us. I hope that all of us will go home. And I know we watched, I watched Softy with my kids, you know, and I was telling Alicia, who teaches high school at my kids' school, like, I, this book needs to be in the schools because it gives kids an access point to a really important part of history that whether you're Kenyan or not, this is in all of us. This tendency to be like, this is mine, that's yours is in all of us. We'll all retreat to that. When our back is against the wall, we will come into that mode of like, this is mine, that's yours. Um, I said I was going to talk about the men in this section, and we talked more about no, the world. No, we'll talk about the men. Um, so I want to talk about another man character that I was telling you at the beginning. I was like, when you do the film version of this, can I be Pato? And she was like, Pato? And I was like, yes, because he was this character. I felt in a lot of ways he was the, you know, the, oh, I'm going to mess up my kiss, my shang, the one, Mananshi? Mananshi. He was like yeah. the average guy, but he also brought this comedy with him. But also at that point when, um, Thu, Thu, I'm forgetting Thu. Thu had to make the decision to jump out of the yeah. truck. It was his punch. <laughs> and he was like, I'm going to help you make your choice. Go, you know? And I just love that about him because I was like, gosh, isn't that all of us? At some point, yeah. you need someone to push us like into what's better for us. So, but tell me for him, I felt like you, I thought you even named him Pacha because he's supposed to be the people. Mm. And like you were trying to just say like, this is what the people, like the average guy eventually learns in Kenya, average yeah. woman, that you have to be shrewd. You have to be like, you can do both dances. Like, you know, walk the line, but also know how to walk around it. And I don't know, just tell us about his character. Was he just like an afterthought? <laughs> I want him to be more. <laughs> I mean, so you know, you have to think about everything when you write a book. It's like, I need someone to like say something funny in this yeah. line. <laughs> something funny there. Um, before I answer, can I ask you a question? Sure. Oh, yeah. So would you be a pato or a thuo if you're sitting in a jail cell or actually at the back yeah. of the car? So would you be yeah. the one jumping on your own or needing to be pushed? I'm definitely a thuo, unfortunately. Yeah, me too. Yeah, firstborn, so I'm like, you know, everyone has to be taken care of. Let me, everything will be done in order. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah I want yeah. to be a pato, but I'm not. Yeah. 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 And I think there's always going to be those two people, right? The person who's just like, these are the laws and if I've been arrested, I'll have to sit here until I've been yeah. missed, right? Yeah. And the guy who just knows you, you've been forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> forgotten <laughs> you. <laughs> they don't know they didn't write your name in the book yeah. you don't exist go what are yeah, you doing exactly. and I, I am a definitely a, a thuo and I, I think that I haven't like it, it, it's a muscle that ruby will make you flex into more mm. the pato muscle is a very See, I'm soft thing. that's exactly what it is yeah, actually yeah. 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 You, know, you don't want to be a pato the reason he was so confident is he, he was a repeat offender yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that speaks to my life of not having experienced enough I don't have enough street smarts yeah. to, to survive but to be honest be in jail again Again and again and again. Yeah, again. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I, to be honest, I just wanted some joy. I wanted mm. some some lightness. I wanted this because also my supervisor told me I have no sense of humor. I could never be a comedy writer. And I was like, Oh, I'm gonna show you. Some, some, I'm gonna try and be funny. <laughs> next next time I'll do better. But I, I really needed because it was a very like tense moment. And when you're sitting with Thor, you're you're kind of over yeah. his his position, yeah. and he's not gonna get himself yeah. out of there. You know yeah. this. Either his wife is coming to get him out, or he's getting billed out by Ngugi or someone else. So everybody else is yeah. like in another yeah. part of the country. Yeah. So I'm like, we need someone to come and get this man yeah. out. 
of here and enough of patrol wars. Just moving. We all need a patrol to be like, jump, guy. You want to wait for the thing? Call the guy and bring me. Fine. We'll get your thing faster. Just get it done. Yeah, no, I, I, we all, we do need, and the country needs those people too, huh? Who's going to be like, let's, let's find a, a way that's to get Nairobi to Nairobi, Nairobi, I think. Um, that, that yeah. thing to get it done, get it absolutely. done, get it done, even if it means bending the law. And I don't, I'm not saying break the rules. <laughs> I'm just saying However, it definitely bends them. <laughs> So <laughs> like, no, we were not breaking the rules. <laughs> <laughs> the line. Oh, Sasha, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, Sasha and then Janet, sorry. Okay, so I have a question about Lawrence. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's really interesting. You touched a little bit on this before, but I think it's really interesting that an artist, um, writer, oftentimes you create something and you don't realize how that particular line might um, be interpreted by other people. And so then it creates a whole other side of the story that maybe you didn't intend. Um, so I'm thinking about Lawrence because for me, Lawrence, although he was a small, he, he had a small role, he was, it was such a, he was such a meaningful um, person to me because when I saw him sitting there in the uh, cafeteria of the mall food court, yeah. in such an ordinary place with all of these people just doing everyday ordinary things and he's experiencing this extraordinary grief and mm. Um, worry and anxiety and stress and he's trying to get as much as he can out of that phone call and it's like his heart is somewhere else but he's there in that uniform you know in that cafeteria or whatever it is I just felt that because for me as somebody who is um, of the diaspora I, I know that scene very well yeah. the feeling I know it very well I know that tension so I'm just wondering Lawrence did you again was it a situation where he was an intentional character that you wanted to bring in maybe people of the diaspora. And I know you said you wrote this for Kenyans, and I love that. I love that there is no glossary. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, but I'm wondering, did you intend for him to bring in yeah. the diaspora, or was he, again, you know, more of an afterthought mm -hmm. character? No, he was super intentional. And thank you for asking about him. He doesn't get any... Oh, <laughs> any yeah, he doesn't any get any questions at all. Yeah. So he's, 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 he's an important one. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but he was like, Lawrence, 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 Lawrence. Oh, yes, that's it. <laughs> that's kind of like the diaspora sometimes. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. He, loves, he loves everyone. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. There's more Kenyans living in the US than 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 I can imagine. And I wasn't in Kenya for the twenty thirteen um election because I was out writing this book and I was so stressed. I'm just like I want I want to go home. If Kenya is burning, I wanna be there. I just there's a thing about when, when things are going to shit, you want just wanna be there with the people yeah. that you love, yeah. right? Yeah. And I imagine what it must have been like for I have lots of family who live in the US even till today and mm -hmm. what it must be like because all you're seeing from the US news is, Oh my god, look at the violence of everybody mm -hmm. and it was bad. But often it's painted a lot worse in, mm -hmm. in, in, in the media and, and that tension between between like watching the news and calling the people being like, oh, we're fine, we're actually just drinking gin. Mm. Um, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And th that tension is one that I, f I felt doesn't get enough airtime. So I really mm. wanted Lawrence to represent, again, all the Kenyans who live in the diaspora, but also this experience isn't unique to Kenyans only. Yeah. Um, if you live away from home and things are going well or going really badly, you just want to be there. Absolutely. If you've been uprooted. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, <my> <laughs> 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 Slip it in there. I should slip that in there. <laughs> but absolutely, yeah. No, 
thank you for bringing those. You're sorry. I can remember yeah. my parents, you know, during the 85 famine in Ethiopia, like the desperation. Like if you could cut it with a knife yeah. every night waiting to call to the times line up so you can get through and then the static is terrible, you get cut off. I mean, just the heartache that that presents. Yeah. To, the point, just, uh, to the point I feel like um, the phone ringing brings trauma. Exactly. Yeah. What is that exactly. phone yeah, Exactly. And in fact, you can't, you have to immediately say what's happening. Hi, mom, it's Lil. Everything's okay. Yes. You have to immediately yes. in the first 10 seconds yeah. iron out all is well yeah. because otherwise it's, it's yeah, it's you horrible. You can't wait for time on pleasantries. Yeah, no. you can't. You can't. And even just that moment when Kabata just goes like, I don't know why, but that guy feels Kenyan, right? And we've all felt yeah. that way when you're abroad and yes. you're like, tell me about that guy's energy yes. makes me feel yes. like he might be Kenyan. Exactly. And that cannot be exactly. stated enough, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, that's so true. There's something really heartbreaking but also beautiful to be in the diaspora because those those are the lifelines to home you know yeah. Janet you also had a question I know you can talk about this um, <laughs> yes yeah, so I wanted to again if I may just go back to Ruby very very excuse me to do it very quickly does he someone in my book club mentioned um, that you know is, is he maybe representative of that sort of slice of society of people who are fully dependent on their employers for everything, mm. you know, for rescue from jail, for mm. our monthly salary, for, you know, mm. um, I don't know, financial assistance if someone is sick, mm -hmm. if there's a birth mm. and they suddenly, you know, the bill gets out of hand, things, you know, is, mm. is that a fair assessment? Yes, I think it's fair, but it's incomplete. I think he's, he's a kind of person who believes in the systems that exist, that they will work in his favor, and that they're really there for everybody. So he's very much an idealist. Um, and, and, and I think that could also be called naive, because, because like, he's not, nothing about what he believes is naive, it's just that he believes in, the police are here to serve us, they're here to serve us. Mm. If I've been arrested with no, if, and, and then people have found out where Kavata has gone, surely someone somewhere mm. must remember me mm. <laughs> and come and get yeah. me out of the cell. <laughs> so he's, he's super idealist, but also there's, there is a sliver of our population who will be like, this is my everything, and these people are my everything, and, and there's, there's really nothing about, it's really difficult to tell them that there's more. You could, you could those hours between five and, and, and five the next day when you're, that's when you can like do more and kind of, yeah. kind of diversify your everything yeah. next to other things. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, like, 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 he also mm. had a very difficult childhood. He did. Um, mm. He did. He lost his mm. mother in the 92 crash. Mm. Yes. Mm. And, and then his father abandoned him. Oh, that was abandoned. heartbreaking. And, you know, did oh. he learn maybe, you know, there's a great backstory mm. maybe he learned in that experience that the mm. more low profile mm. you are, yeah. the less life yeah. punishes you. Mm. Yeah, just kind of yeah. Well, he talks about that too, right? At the beginning, he talks about when he's giving that backstory, you see how many notes I took. <laughs> and yet I was like, I, I am not going to be able to ask all the questions. But there's a beautiful part where he talks about, um, yeah, it's just here. Very early on, his father is talking to him about to walk away. And he says, since you think you're big enough to disobey me, you can go your own way. Right. So his father dropped the bag he was carrying that contained their remaining possessions. He paused a brief moment before he walked away from his son. Theo, Theo stood rooted and silent. Mm. I mean, just that, like, just that sense of, like, he just learned. And then I think in the next page, he reflects on that and says, yeah. you know, choice is basically not for, not for me. it's not for the poor. Yeah, for the poor. It's not for the marginalized, you know. And I think, you know, whether or not, again, it was, like, meant to be a statement, that was something that really resonated with me. I think all of us in this room have to acknowledge our privilege, right? We have, we have the privilege of being able to dissect our choices and make different choices and pivot. But for so many, there's, there is no choice. Yeah. There's just, this is what life hands you, and then what you do with it is then maybe your only choice, truly. You know, you can't drive your own destiny. But um, there was another question on this side. Did I miss somebody? Ashuka, did you have one? <laughs> when I said we're going to break all the laws, and she was like, no, we won't. <laughs> 
I'm talking too much. One of the things I'm realizing is that I'm really enjoying being like an audience member and having nothing to do with putting any of this together. Um, no, it was it was about tool, and I think um, to Janet's point, like there's so many people I think that we've spoken with or, or sessions I've listened in on where people talk about how docile he is. Mm-hmm. And um, it causes so much reflection for me because to your point just mm-hmm. now, then you do start to think about, and I think that portrayal is super powerful because a lot of readers get frustrated with him. Like, oh, do something, move, uh, you know, jump off. Like, why are you, like, why are you just sitting here mm-hmm. without realizing that that's not necessarily a train of thought or a possibility of action that's always available to every person. Um, So for me, I find him to be such an interesting character in that way, in that moment, because it says a lot about what choices are available to you. Absolutely, absolutely. Depending on where you're sitting. Yeah, I mean, as a mother of black sons, I would tell them, wait in that jail cell, don't you dare jump off, don't you dare make any choice that's going to risk your life. You know, like there is is this balance that you're always having to think about, and that's not a privilege everyone is afforded, you know. I find that a strange comparison, though, Mm -hmm. because I don't know that I would tell my black son that in this black society. Well, I've told, you haven't told your black son in this black society to uh, stay child, away from the police. First my child, first my child <laughs> just can talk, talk, talk. But that's a, that's a privilege, go, Lisa. To America, that's a privilege, yeah. though. That's a privilege. I just wanted to say that I just was thinking of an interesting connection about the fact that our discomfort with Thuo and his, his what we thought was docile, for me, is very much like the discomfort we felt about... Um, the woman who decides to leave her family, right? It's like, he, he, we're uncomfortable with him for not being able to make that choice, mm. but, which she obviously doesn't have the privilege. Yeah. But in her case, she did have the, the privilege to make that mm-hmm. choice. She could get on a flight mm-hmm. and she could, whereas I feel like in a lot of stories, we're very much used to seeing the African woman is like devoted to her family no matter what, even if it yeah. tears her into, you know, yeah. to 50 yeah, million pieces. Yeah. But seeing her make that decision to say, I'm leaving because I said I'm going to leave. I feel like it's that same place of discomfort. Why is he not moving, but why is she making this decision? I don't know if I might add to that, but I remember distinctly because I was here in Kenya um, during the the 2007-2008 violence, and I remember even a discussion my husband and I had about whether or not we would leave, and our distinct feeling was that we we felt, for good or for ill, that we had committed ourselves to Kenya, Mm -hmm. and it felt a bit like an abandonment Mm -hmm. to just leave, and we, we didn't also know... Um, if we couldn't provide, if we might be able to provide aid or, or, or shelter for some of our staff or extended families. So we stayed. But I also remember thinking clearly that frustration of the Kenyans and thinking, gosh, you guys, if you just all stood up and made a stand, um, you know, this, this would be, this would be different. And yet, of course, forgetting that it's not, um, it's not. It's never that easy, and people are not all of a thing. They are not a monolithic yeah. enterprise. And, and of course, now, now having gone through the not gone through, but having witnessed the the things that have happened in the United States and the post-election violence mm-hmm. that occurred there, of course, I am even more humbled by that. So I think it is a bit of a privilege to um, to say that there are these that you can you can take a stand or you mm-hmm. can be mm-hmm. you can be other than Thuo when. We don't always have those options, and it's so easy to judge from the outside. So um, that was just a good reminder to me um, yeah. from thinking about my own experiences and um, having been here during that time and having witnessed things that have happened in the United States as well more recently. Just to add to that, I wonder if 
who was the complete opposite of the mobs that we saw. Because those people did make a choice, right? Mm. Like he chose to trust the system and the system failed mm. him. Yeah, absolutely. But all the people who did choose to act made the completely wrong choice, which resulted in a lot of death. And, mm. and he was the antithesis. Yeah, So I was comparing him to the, to the men who decided, you know what, we're going to take matters into our own hands. We're going to loot the store because you're not from my ethnic group, mm. so I'm deciding for you that you get out of here, and he was not. So mm. I like the fact that he, he trusted the system, but unfortunately for him, it, it didn't... It didn't live up to his expectation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I re- this happens often that my perception is very different than everyone else. But it, it, it never occurred to me to perceive Thor to be a weak character. Mm. I only ever perceived him to be such a good, loving, kind man. Mm. If I could find a man who could love me, the way he loved me. <laughs> <laughs> you were good. You were good. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. just such a good man. Mm. And, and, and so, yes, granted, he did trust the system. Mm. The system wasn't good to him per se. But I would say that um, um, among the characters in, in the book, and you know, relative to so many other men who um, chose to take matters in their own hands, and who maintains his humanity mm. and he maintains his family. I think that um, in the end, he was a victim. Mm, thank you, yeah. for that. Yeah. The system wasn't worthy of him. It wasn't. It wasn't. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 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 Cool. I want yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you have your sequel, maybe. Maybe the next yeah. one isn't that love book that I romance know, you're going to write. Maybe the... <laughs> I don't know. Friendship <laughs> to love story. We'll see. I'm very conscious of time, so I want to ask you two quick questions. Okay. Quick-ish. Um, first... You say in your work around BookBunk that a lot of this work about restoring libraries and these spaces is about the collective imagination of Kenya. So I want to ask you what you hope to contribute to that imagination. And then my second question, maybe to wrap up, is also what's next for you? Um, We need a lot more imagination, to be honest. I see it in my work. I see it in the way that we do everything. We just need to remember that we're allowed to dream again. Um, I am a product of public school education in this country. I went to public school all through, actually, yeah, until until I went away for, for grad school, all of my education was in this country. Mm-hmm. And something, every for every day, between three and four, I would go to the library and my job was to imagine. This is St. George's mm-hmm. Primary School. And we'd sit there and just read whatever books, whatever, but we just, we had an hour of the day when your job is to just be a child and, and lose yourself in imagination. And I, I noticed that shift happened when it became about, okay, now not so much imagination, now let's make some money for the country, let's build the economy. And everything was, we're all being made to do computer science and business admin and, and, and art was taken away from the curriculum. And I think we forgot that we have the right to just like paint our houses pink if we want to. <laughs> let's have building, like as basic mm. as that, but also just the way we solve mm. problems and everything. I think that everything about our lives has to be decolonized. Why we choose to prioritize the first name, which is often, as we know, because the system is made to make up in the English name, what are we saying about our own names? I was talking to my sister this afternoon about how the Dagoeti Kona as a, as, a, as a phrase, for me, it's really, as a name of a place really bothers me because we're kind of, the, I don't know if you know the history of the word Dagoeti Kona. The, 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 the Brits right. called it the Great Kona, but Kenyans couldn't say the Great Kona, so it was called Dagoeti Kona. I'm not sure it was in jest or because we had a problem pronouncing it, but that we've taken that thing that was, that was what we were made fun of and called this area that. I'm just like, do, do you call it something else? Not like well, that makes me wonder about Macmillan Library. Oh, yeah. Biggest question because we get I don't asked. Know, yeah, yeah. Rename it. And it's the, the, the most urgent thing for me to do because we haven't changed the space. You have to change the space before you can mm. rename it, right? Mm. So once we've done everything we want to do, then we can think about calling it the Nairobi Public Library or something mm. like that's sure. necessarily um, 
bring yeah. back any yeah. any kind of historical yeah. um, triggers. But I think we just need a lot more imagination, um, and we need to just remember that that's where our juice lives, right? Yeah. That's where our secret sauce is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the, everything I do, the writing, the library work, for me, all of those things are just like the same. I can't, I couldn't write if I didn't do library work and vice versa. Yeah. The, the, the reason I build libraries is because I cannot expect Kenyans to pay 1,700 shillings every time they want to read my book because then I know I'm only dealing with the 1% of this country. And then what Thank happens to everybody else? Thank right? you for that. Yes. And that's why libraries are, are, for me, a distribution plan more than they are. Like, I was like, oh, I want my book read. Yeah. Boom, let's build some library. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love boom. It. I love it. You make the way by walking. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so everything, everything that I do is, is about just like giving people space to imagine, to imagine other things, to talk about things that are difficult, to, to sit in their pain, to sit in their discomfort, to idle mm-hmm. and do nothing. Yes. <laughs> if they just need to do nothing. Yes. Um, and, and until that changes, that's what I want to spend my life doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so your second question, I want to write about love and companionship and the way that the city um, has <laughs> shaped our dating and how we find each other. Yes. Um, before the pandemic, I spent... Just a, just a, under two months, well, it would have been wrong if COVID didn't happen, but I was in West Africa, and my job for this project was a research project that was funded by the Edinburgh Book Festival, and they paid me to go to these countries and Tinder, be on Bumble, swipe, and go on the dates. Oh, you are kidding me. Okay. People, welcome back. And for and for and for just under two months, I'd go and I'd and I'd meet I'd meet with people who I had only interacted with for the first time via the internet, mm. and that was the only law. So I'd wake up, I'd do some book punk work, and then swipe, 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 and I'd be like, "Oh, what's happening wow. in Gambia today?" And it was incredible to just see how the internet has changed how we're how we're meeting people, how we're relationshiping because. So many yeah. people are just like, we, don't, we didn't meet on Bumble, but we wouldn't be together if we didn't have WhatsApp calls for, the, for like to, to connect with yeah. They live in different parts of the car or they sure. live in different parts of, of, of Nigeria. And I think that everything about the way, especially in Nairobi, that we live evolves so quickly. Mm. But still, when it comes to like relationships, it's just boring to me how we expected to find each other. I'm like, no, I don't want to go out clubbing and meet people. No, I don't. I want to, I do everything on my phone. So why can't I meet somebody on my phone? Okay. So the project was really about me trying to kind of like, address my anxiety or my, 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 my shame around online dating and seeing what, what's that about and do, do it until you're no longer ashamed okay, about okay. it but also to see what other Africans are doing and I want to channel that into my next work of fiction um, because I had maybe a close to maybe 21 days in like a span of, 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 that, of that period of two months and under two months and none of them were the same and all of them were exhilarating I can't wait. I feel like as a parent, this is going to be a research. Like I'm going to learn a lot. I'm also scared to, to, to learn what, what it's like out there in the internet. But sounds fantastic. There's a lot of things out there in the internet. <laughs> that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Something for everyone. That is what I heard. Yeah. Oh, Shiro, this has been such a delight to, to sit with you and mull over these ideas and these choices that your characters have made, that you have made as a writer and as a thinker. And to just share that space with all of you here. I mean, um, we could go on, I think, a few more hours, but the sun is setting, so I think we will go on. But for the sake of the show, I just want to say thank you. Thank you what you've contributed to our collective imagination, both here today, but also as a Nairobi community, as a Pan-African community. I think all of us, as your sisters, would say, well done. Yeah. So, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Oh, I thank love this. Thank you for an incredible conversation. Oh, I you. really, truly enjoyed this. I'm not just saying that. This mm. was probably one of my top three favorite mm. interviews. Yeah, well, let's do it again. <laughs> Cheers it to again. that. Cheers. 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 Cheers.
answers to that. So thank you for listening to Uproot. Um, we will tag everything in the show notes so you can find Shiro and her incredible work, the work of Bunk Books and Book Bunk, and all of her writing. We'll make sure it's all in the show notes. And as we always say, keep at it until it becomes rooted. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much to Wanjiru Konyange for joining me today on Uproot to talk about her compelling and heartbreaking book, The Havoc of Choice. I'm particularly indebted also to my dear friend Lisa, who hosted us all today. Lisa, so grateful for your friendship and your partnership on doing this event today. I don't know about you, but that was a conversation to be had and to be listened to and re-listened to. I'm so grateful for the beautiful women who joined me today and lended their wisdom, their insight, their perspectives about the choices we make and the lives that we create as a result. Even though I've been gone for a while, you can still find me at the same places. Instagram and Twitter, it's at Uproot and Lil, L-I-L-L. Facebook, it's Uproot the Podcast. And if you want to go old school and email me, you can do that at uprootthepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can find Shiro at her website, wanjirokonyange.com. And in the show notes, you'll find links to where you can find her book, Havoc of Choice. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it here in Nairobi at lots of different places. We're so thrilled that you can hear her story and you should get the book if you don't have it already. As Wangari Mathai taught us, we have to keep at it until it becomes rooted. And no matter what choices you're making today, keep at it. Talk to you soon.